Okay, we're doing now Monday's portion of Bayera. I'll just to backtrack a little. At the end, the last concept in the previous week's portion of Lachlacha, we have on the 13th of Nisan, birthday of Abraham, Abraham and his son Ishmael, the circumcision. Mm-hmm. And now, three days later, on the 15th of Nisan, God comes to visit him, and in essence, the visit is a healing of him, which is why God waited for these days, that Abraham shouldn't have this supernatural healing right away, because God wants to work through the natural process of going through these three days of pain. But now, God comes to heal him, and God also sends these three messenger angels disguised as humans on one hand to give Abraham the comfort and the joy in hosting at the same time truly ultimately revealing themselves as angels because they had missions from God to heal him in a natural fashion so to speak as the, the greatest doctors the angel Michael as every doctor is accompanied by an angel to tell him the news of Sarah's having a baby in a year's time, the 15th of Nisan in one year, and to destroy Sodom. The angels say that in a year from now you're going to have a baby. And Abraham rejoiced, and Sarah laughed and doubted. Of course, according to some, she had no way of, of knowing these were angels. It just sounds like travelers. They're saying this sort of bizarre blessing though he made the way God responded. Maybe she was supposed to know they were angels and she was supposed to take it as God's word. And God gave this rebuke. Why, why is Sarah laughing? God can do anything. Now to begin with today's portion, up to chapter 18, verse 15. Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was frightened. And he, God said, no, but you laughed. And as Jesus explains this, Corsara was so, so great, one of the greatest people of all time, but she had a body, and, and her body, so to speak, laughed and couldn't fathom this news. So it says, we have in this verse, and this makes more sense in the Hebrew, we have twice the word key, which we normally translate as because. Here, Marsha explained the first time we see it, it means because, and the second time it means rather. Because Aram has explained that key, this Hebrew word, has four meanings. If, perhaps, rather, and because. But of course, each time we have to understand it contextually. And the men arose from there and they gazed towards the dome and Abraham walked with them to send them up. So they gazed, the Hebrew here is vayashkifu, and that word hashkafa, looking, means in, in, a, bad, in a bad way. Except one time, when we say to God, gaze from your holy abode, or we're talking there after the concept of one having given all of his tithes, including the tithe of the poor. So since we're talking about giving gifts to the poor, it's such a great power, it can transform the divine attribute of anger to mercy. So in that situation, this word, is positive. God gave from your holy bone means positive because of the power of charity in transforming that term. But generally, as in this situation, it's in a negative sense. 
still able to walk with them to send them off because at this point he's still escorting them because he's still under the impression they were visitors, which is sort of interesting because we can say, what, God responded to their statement that they're going to have a child by saying, God saying, hey, why did Sarah laugh? God doesn't know I can do this. But still, at the same time, they were these visitors hadn't yet taken off their angelic disguise. And, and then, of course, we go to the question of so that what's the issue of Sarah laughing? Why would you believe such a strange statement? And again, maybe because of her great righteousness, if anyone's going to give you such a blessing, you should take it as, obviously, yes, of course, God can do anything, and he will do this. Instead of being doubtful, again, not doubtful if she had heard this from God, but in her head she wasn't hearing this from God. She was hearing it from these wanderers, these travelers, these simple people. So Abraham also even though they had said you're going to have a baby in a year, and God responded and said, yes, that, that is my word, it still didn't make him realize these were angels. It could have been humans who God put his words through them. And God said, shall I conceal from Abraham what I would do? Shall I conceal that hey creates the rhetorical question. What I do, in other words, what God is referring to, is what I'm going to do with time in this stone and the other four cities, or five cities, which stone was the main one that's referred to by that name. It's not a poor issue without his knowledge. Why? Well, because I've given him the whole land of Israel, including five cities I'm about to destroy. So, how can I destroy them without telling him? Especially because I said, by the circumcision, two days before, that his name is now Avraham. Before then it was Avram, but now Avraham means the father of all these nations, of many nations. So if I'm calling him the father of many nations, I'm going to destroy the children, all the people in these five cities. I'm not going to tell the father, and the father is someone who loves me, the father is someone so close to me. Abraham is my beloved, and he's the father, so to speak, of these five cities. I'm going to kill out all these cities and not even tell him. And Abraham will slowly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. Now, why suddenly is God saying this? The Rashi gives her two answers. One is, as we've went before in connection with Noah, the mention of a righteous person is for a blessing, meaning since you mention him, you bless him. So here, God's mentioning Abraham, so he's blessing him. Or on a simpler level, how can I keep a secret from him when I see he's so precious to me that I'm going to make him this great nation and all the nations of the world will be blessed to him? And I'm going to keep this secret from him? But I've cherished him because he commands his children's household after him that they keep the ways of God doing charity and justice in order that God might bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. So the Hebrew here, Kiyedativ, Seemingly means I know him. And Rashi says we translate I cherish him. It means endearment. Because the essential meaning of of knowing is when you cherish a person, then you draw them close to you and you know them and become familiar with them. Now, why do I love him so much? Because he commands his son, his children, his household after him. Because he's commanding his son about me to keep my way. And that's why he's so close to me. But if you did not understand the word knowing here as cherishing, then the sentence doesn't seem to make sense. 
I know him because he commands his children's household to keep my ways. Like, what is one or the other? But I cherish him because he commands his children to follow my ways. That makes sense. He commands, Rashi explains the grammar of that word, Yitzavah, is like what we would call the present perfect tense, continually happening. And the verse also ended with an interesting phrase, in order that God might bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. In other words, the verse means he commands his children to keep the ways of God so that God could bring this upon Abraham. Now you can say, what do you mean about Abraham? Abraham's going to pass away. We're really talking about the house of Abraham, the children of Abraham. We say about Abraham because if Abraham's line continues with righteous people just like him, it's like he doesn't die. Abraham continues to live. In other words, if Abraham's children are going to keep the ways of God as Abraham commands them, the reward that God is promising is to come to his children, not to him. But the verse is saying here, Abraham speaks of God, bringing upon Abraham that which he spoke. Because, we're saying, if Abraham's children keep the commandments, it says if Abraham continues to live through them. So God said, because the outcry, so in other words, at this point, God is, so to speak, saying, All right, I'm not going to conceal this, so I'm going to, I'm going to tell him what I'm about to do here, to these five cities, in his land, that he's, in a sense, the father of these people, so I have to tell him. And he's so dear to me and so precious to me, and I, I want to tell him. So God said, because the outcry of Sodom and Amor has become great, and because the sin has been very grave. So God is saying this to Abraham, he decided he, he's not going to conceal this. Now here, Rashi is a Rashi that's sort of, Grammatical, ki rabbah. Usually that word means great, an adjective, which doesn't make any sense in the context of how this is written in the Hebrew here. So Rashi explains that whenever it's rabbah, the adjective meaning great, the accent, the accent mark is on the second syllable. But here the accent mark is actually on the first syllable. And therefore it's not the adjective great, it then becomes like a verb has happened. So here, has become great, which contextually makes sense. Their sin has become great. I'm sorry, their outcry has become great. Next first, I will defend and see if they act in accordance with its outcry, which came to me, then destruction. And if not, I will know. So this means I will descend, like, like God needs to come down to see this, check this out. So Rashi explains this is to teach the judges that they shouldn't issue a verdict in capital cases until they really, really went down to see it, meaning they really examined it very carefully, which we see the same concept earlier um, at a time when all the people gathered together to build the tower. And again, we have the same concept of God saying he's coming down, and the same explanation of Rashi. Or, Rashi gives a different answer, I will descend, I'll descend to the end of their deeds, the end of their deeds, meaning I'm going to see the final outcome of their behavior. Are they going to repent or not? In the first explanation, I'm going to go down and see, means I'm going to go down and see the sins they already committed. And the second one means I'm going to go down and see what's going to be in the future, what's going to happen here with all of this sin. Is it like the cry? The cry, Rashi explains here, means the cry 
of the country. And why is Raj explaining it that way? Because we would think that the words have been written custom if it's their cry, the cry of the people of these cities, their sin, their cry. But even though we say their sin, the cry was is written in the singular feminine. And Raja therefore explaining it's of the countries because cities, geographical names are grammatically feminine. If they act in accordance with this outcry which came to me, meaning they're staying in their state of rebellion, it doesn't have to be destruction to them. But if, meaning if they don't maintain the state of rebellion, I'm going to know what to do and I won't have to destroy them completely. I have to give them suffering to cleanse their sins, but I don't have to destroy them. Which is why there's an accent, like a break mark, between acted and destruction. We're going to separate these two words because not necessarily will there be destruction. It depends on what's happening now with them. Now Rashi goes back to the word Hakitsakasa. Rashi already explained is written in the singular feminine, which is referring to the cities. And Rashi now gives a different explanation why it's written in the singular for the feminine, because it's actually referring to the cry of a single girl. That there was a single girl, the Midrash explains, who <laughs> there was one poor person in that city of stone, and she was secretly giving him food, and they found out. Everybody was, of course, waiting for him to just die because they knew in a few days he was going to die because actually nobody would give him food. But he didn't die, so they're like, wait, somebody's doing this horrific crime and, and feeding him. And they spied and searched, you know. They, they did their espionage and realized this girl was secretly, very surreptitiously, but giving him food. And they, they, they killed her in a horrible, horrible death. So her cry. Rashi saying as his second explanation of this word was a cry that tipped the scales to cause the destruction of these five cities. The men turned from there to stone and Abraham was still standing before God. So the men here, of course, meaning these angels, turned from the place that Abraham escorted them now they're going off on their mission. Now we have two angels actually continuing the mission. <coughs> there was two missions left at this point. One to destroy stone and one to save Lot and his family. So of the three that came to Abraham, one goes back to God and two now are going to continue. But Abraham was still standing there. So Rashi says, wait, that's not exactly what happened. It's not that Abraham standing before God. God came to Abraham as as we explained in the beginning of this section. So it should sort of say God was still standing for Abraham. Then Rashi uses an interesting phrase. He says it's an emendation, enhancement of the scribes. What in the world does that mean? Obviously, the Torah is written by God, not by scribes. Scribes aren't amending the Torah, but rather Rashi means that the Torah is written in a respectful and a euphemistic language, the type that scribes, that writers would use. So here we're being respectful to God, and instead of saying, you know, God's still standing for Abraham, we say it more respectfully, that Abraham is still standing for God. Abraham came forward and said, will you even obliterate righteous with wicked? 
Now this term of come forward in the Hebrew vayigash has three meanings. As we see in various places in the writings and the scriptures, it means for war, it means for appeasement, and it means for prayer. And Abraham now is going to do all three. He's going to speak very strongly. That's to speak the war. He's going to speak words of appeasement. And he's going to pray. All to save these five very, very, very horrifically wicked cities. You know, in the Midrash, lots of details of the wickedness. The more you learn, the more you see how incredibly evil these people are. And yet, Abraham here is, is taking this time to sincerely pray for God to, to excuse these people and to not kill them. You might think, like, wouldn't he want the evil destroyed? But Abraham, of course, was the embodiment of kindness, and he wanted kindness to flow to everyone, even to such people. Abraham said, are you going to obliterate the, the righteous with the wicked? So, it's simply here, Rashi is saying, is just translated as we did, will you also obliterate? But according to how Onkelis translates it, instead of he, he takes the word ha'af, again, this is really only on the Hebrew, ha'af, in the English is, will you even obliterate? The Onkelis is saying af means anger. So ha'af, will anger cause you to obliterate the righteous with the wicked? Perhaps there are 50 righteous people in the midst of the city. Would you even obliterate and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people that are within it? Meaning, there's five cities. If in each city there's 10 righteous people, for the merit of those 10, you should save the city. You could say, well, you know, maybe you'd say 10 righteous people can't save all these wicked, but you're going to put the righteous to death? It will be sacrilege to you to do such a thing, to bring death upon righteous with wicked. So the righteous will be like the wicked. It will be sacrilege to you. So the judge of all the earth not do justice? You see how Aaron is pushing so hard, like we said, hey, gosh, warfare, pushing very hard for these very, very wicked people. The first Rashi explains the term chalila, which literally comes from the word chol, profane, but we translate it to be sacrilege to you. It's profane for you to ask in this fashion because people say, oh, this is what God does. You see, by the flood, he washed away everyone, the righteous and the wicked. By the Tower of, of Babylonia, he watched, he dispersed all of them, righteous and wicked. Everyone was punished the same. And also here, he's just punishing everyone. He's not discriminating and saving the righteous. He just knocks them all off. Would you do such a thing? Meaning, you shouldn't do this or anything like it. It's sacrilege to you for, for the world to come. Meaning, it's, this phrase is repeated twice explain that this sacrilege is extending into a spiritual dimension, world to come, or perhaps another way of understanding this, in a rush as the world to come, he means also for future generations. But the judge of all the earth, not your justice? So ha, the ha, that opens up this phrase, means, again, as we just said earlier today, that this is like a rhetorical question. 
So someone who's a judge isn't going to do true justice. He's not going to act justly. And God said, if I find and stone 50 righteous people in the midst of the city, you know, I'll spare the entire place on their account. So again, what we're saying here is, it says stone, but it means all the cities because stone was the most important one. So God is saying, yes, it's all cities. If there's 10 righteous people in each city, I'm going to spare everyone. In other words, Abraham, you're saying maybe the righteous aren't enough to spare, but at least those righteous shouldn't be killed. I'm going to go to the ultimate degree. There's 10 righteous people. Every single wicked person in the city will be spared on their account. But guess what? They weren't. So Abram continued. Abram responded and said, Behold now, I've begun to speak to my Lord, although I am but dust and ash. Dust and ash, meaning I should have become dust. I should have perished by the king. as It just was this war where Abram fought these four very powerful kings. I should have become ash through their hands dust through their hands, and ash through Nimrod, because Nimrod threw him into the fiery furnace. So I should have died as ash through Nimrod. I should have become dust trampled by all these kings. But but your your compassion stood for me and protected me from both of these deaths. So in other words, like, who am I? What am I to speak? But, then Aaron continues, perhaps the 50 righteous people lack five. Would you destroy the entire city because of the five? And God said, I'll not destroy if I find there 45. Meaning, the calculation here is, maybe there aren't 10 in each city, maybe there's only nine. But if there's nine in each city, and you, God, are the righteous one of the whole world, you could join each group of nine. So in your merit, you could sort of make it 10 in each group. And God accepts this. But there weren't nine either. He further continued to speak to him and said, perhaps 40 will be found there. And God said, I will not act on account of the 40. In other words, if there's 40, then four cities will be saved. So when he asked for 30, three cities will be saved. And 20, two cities will be saved. And 10, at least one city can be saved. <laughs> but he said, let my Lord not be annoyed and I will speak. Perhaps 30 would be found there. And he said, I will not act if I find there 30. See, God keeps agreeing that these righteous people don't exist in these cities. So he said, perhaps now I desire to speak to my Lord. Perhaps 20 would be found there. Found there. And God said, I will not destroy and count the 20. So he said, let not my Lord be annoyed. Now speak but this one. Perhaps 10 would be found there. And he said, I will not destroy and account of the 10. <coughs> Here in the Hebrew, Ho'alti, it's mean, I wished. Because perhaps 10. And that's when he stopped. So why did he stop at this point? Because he thought, I can't ask for less than this. Because in the flood, there were eight righteous people, right? Because we know that eight survived Noah and his sons and their wives. So that's eight people. And those eight people didn't save the generation, they just saved themselves. So, what can we do? I asked for ten. I already asked for nine, so to speak, going down for one, having God join them. That wasn't found. Less than that is eight, and eight didn't save the, save by the generation of the flood. How can it save now? So, we're sort of done. And God departed when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So at this point, as 
so to speak, the advocate, Abraham is silent because he's got nothing left to say. The judge departs, and Abraham left. The judge, God left, so to speak. And now the prosecutor is prosecuting, and therefore, we continue tomorrow, opening up with angels coming to Sodom to destroy.